Um, for those who were not here last week, we started a short series um, through the last book in the New Testament, and uh, that is the book of, of Revelation. And uh, what makes Revelation so important is the fact that it answers some of the questions that people are asking at the moment. Um, it's one of the, the books in the Bible that answers some of the questions we have, like the question, is God really in control? It's easy to say that standing here, but when we look at world events, can we truly believe that God is in control? How do we process all of the evil and the ungodliness that's happening around about us? You know, one thing that we as a generation have that people in the past didn't have, we have instant access to everything that's happening all the time. And let's be honest, it's overwhelming. It shocks me sometimes. When is Jesus coming back again? It's going to be tomorrow? It's going to be 2020? It's going to be 2030? When's that going to happen? What will heaven be like? Are we really living in the last days as the church? Now, I'm not sure what your answers are to some of those questions, but I think Revelation definitely answers some of them. But right up front, we are reminded as we begin to read through the book of Revelation that people who read it and people who take what is written in Revelation, when they take it to heart, they are meant to be encouraged. Let's remind ourselves again, verse 3, Revelation 1, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And the reality is for so many people, this book of Revelation has become one of the most confusing parts of the Bible for them. And one of the reasons for that is because of the, the many pictures and the images that it contains. And, and I'm sure that you've read it through and you've said, like, what's this picture mean? What's this creature all about? And what does that really mean? It's like quite confusing at the end of the day. But Revelation must be read in the light of what God intended it to be. It is, and I want to use this word, an unveiling. Because the word revelation means to uncover or to unveil. So for example, if you could imagine at home, uh, you've got a whole lot of stuff in the room, and you throw a blanket over it because you've got some visitors coming, and they don't want, you don't want them to see all the rubbish lying on the floor, and they don't know what's there. They can see there's something there, but they haven't got a clue what's there. And when you lift that blanket off, you unveil, you uncover what is really there. That's what revelation is. It is an unveiling, it is an uncovering of the nature of the spiritual battle that the church is involved in. That's what it's all about. And it's also an un uncovering of how it's all going to end. You must remember at the time that this book of Revelation or this revelation of Jesus, as it said, is given to the Apostle John, the persecution of the church was on the increase. People were, were really getting persecuted badly. We've, we've got stories of people being impaled and set alight. As Christians, 
People getting, getting bound up in animal skins and ripped apart uh, in the arena. Friends, how, how, do you, how do you deal with all of that stuff? Because it has such a big impact on us. In verse 9 of chapter 1, the, the Apostle John writes these words, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering that was taking place. He was exiled into the island of Patmos because of his faith, because of the word of God and because of his Christianity. And isn't it true that what's happening all over the world at the moment is having a big impact on all of us? And the reason is so much of the information that's coming to us is bad news, bad news, and more bad news. The apocalyptic language that's used. You know, you've all heard of poetic language. You've all heard of wisdom literature. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. That's called wisdom literature. Here we've got apocalyptic language. And it's used not by accident. It's very intentionally used. And here's the reason. What it's meant to do is stir up our imagination. Now, I want to say that to you this morning because we often think of receiving information for our minds and we process that information. What revelation does, it wants to stir up your imagination. Much like what happens when you go to movies. And I'm sure you've come back from the movies and for weeks afterwards you can't forget that picture that you saw. That's exactly what the Apostle John is doing and what God is doing in the book of Revelation. There are pictures and images so that one day when you're sitting in a dark place, you can close your eyes and you can picture this rider on the right horse who has many crowns upon his head, who is the captain of the armies of the Lord, coming in all his splendor and glory. And you say, that's my Jesus. See, God is wanting to stir up our imagination with pictures that we will not forget. Now, there are five main themes that, are, that, that run through Revelation that I want us to look at this morning. Let me touch on them briefly. The first one is that we are living in the last days. Secondly, that the outcome of history is in God's hands. It's not in the hands of governments or you and me. The devil has already been defeated, but his final end is still to come. Jesus is coming again. This time he is coming as a warrior. He's not going to be born as a baby in a stable, in insignificance. He's coming in glory and power and every eye will see him. And lastly, God will make all things new. The old will pass away and the new will come. And this, this book of Revelation, these truths were given to strengthen the persecuted church. What do you say to people who are being persecuted? What do you say to somebody who's just lost a family member? What do you say to somebody who's just been put in prison for their faith? What do you say to somebody who's just been beaten for their faith? This is what Revelation is given for. To enable Christians to persevere and keep trusting God when it gets really dark. And that's what a regular reading of this book is meant to do. And although revelation is given to encourage people in hard times and difficult times, it's sad to say that it's often one of the least read books in the Bible because it's so confusing to so many people. 
So let's look at these themes that I have spoken about. We're going to go through them very briefly so that we can be encouraged this morning, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be challenged as well. Now the first one is that the church is living in the last days. Now, unfortunately, I need to touch on this issue because there are far too many Christians trying to predict the exact date of Jesus' return. I don't know if you follow the news, but I remember in 1988, uh, people said Jesus is coming in 1998. When it didn't happen, it was going to be then it was 19. Uh, so not 1990, 1988. Then it was 1989. I think in 2011, people were saying that Jesus was going to come. Um, how many of you are familiar with the Left Behind series? Some of you remember? There's a, I think there's a, some movies that have been made on that as well. Is that right? Um, do, do you know that that, book, that series of books, the Left Behind series, was published in the 90s? I wonder if you know how many copies of that series of books sold. 45 million copies. I mean, that tells me people are really interested in how it's all going to turn out one day. But the Bible tells us two important things about living in the last days. The first one is this. Nobody knows when the end is going to come. <laughs> and, I, and I say that because you know, we have people saying, well, it's going to be so many months and so many days from such and such a date. So uh, roughly this year is when we... The Bible says you don't know. I just, just, just want to put it out there, if you don't mind. Jesus said in Matthew 24, by the way, this is Jesus. I thought I'll get myself off the hook here. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son. Only the Father knows. Can I read that to you again? No one knows about the, the day or the hour. Not even the Son, but only the Father. And the question you've got to ask yourself is, why did God not tell us the exact date? I mean, surely if the second coming of Jesus is so important, surely you would want to know on the 12th of December 1917, 19, uh, 2017, Jesus is coming again. Wouldn't you like to know that? Why doesn't he tell us if it's so important? Just before the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1. The disciples asked Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know. Friends, can I say for you to you, it's not for you to know. So that's the one thing. The second is this. We are living in the last days. <laughs> Do you know that the next big prophesied event in the Bible is the second coming of Jesus? Everything is heading towards that event. In fact, when you get to Revelation chapter 22, three times it says that He is coming again. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in his book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And the response is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. What's the point of God never giving us the date? Because He wants us to always do it. You all know what would happen if it was going to be next year in December. 
there are going to be a whole lot of people saying about the middle of next year, we need to get ready for the second coming of Jesus. And God's whole point is I want you to always live every day of your life as though today I'm coming. The church in a state of readiness. Look in Matthew 24 what Jesus said, Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. And so you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect it. Just imagine for a moment this morning. All of you got a tip-off as you were leaving the building. You got a tip-off. At 20 past 1 tomorrow morning, somebody was going to break into your house. What would you do? Well, I looked at a few things I'd do. The first thing is I'd be wide awake. I'm not sure if you, I would have been fast asleep. And I would be like sitting up over there waiting for the stair. I'd be on my guard. Maybe I'd, I'd call in the police and say, oh, guys, you need to be here. There's, there's going to be a break-in. You'd probably send your family to a safe place where they won't get harmed. You'd alert your neighbors, say, all of the guys, hang on, guys, why don't you come stand together with me? You'd be on your full alert, wouldn't you? That's the point. I'm not telling you the day that you can always be alert. <laughs> always be on your guard. The second theme running right through Revelation is what I want to call this morning the sovereignty of God. Now, that's a big phrase that is very often misunderstood. But what it means is that all things are under God's rule and under God's control and nothing happens without His direction and permission. In chapter 4 of Revelation, the very first vision that, God, that John gets, as, as, as the Bible says, he was in the Spirit. The first thing he sees is the Lord on the throne. And I want to ask you this morning, if you will just close your eyes, because I want to read those words to you. To me, they are so significant and so important. We gloss over them so quickly. So let me read this to you. I'm not putting it on the screen, because I want you to listen. And John says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Very beautiful. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and they had crowns of gold on their heads and from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And day and night, they never stop worshipping, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is 
and who is to come, and whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders bowed down before Him who sits on the throne. And they worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne. And they say, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Amen. Now I know this is a big subject all on its own, this issue of the sovereignty of God. But Revelation reminds you and me that he is on the throne. Donald Trump is not on the throne. Jacob Zuma is not on the throne. Kim Jong-un is not on the throne. Christ is on the throne. And he rules and he reigns and he is king. You see, when the church prayed in the, early, in the New Testament, the early church prayed in the New Testament, when the church was facing opposition and persecution, it was the sovereignty of God that encouraged them. Listen to these words. When they heard this, the opposition that was rising up, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And we read that's a quote from Psalm 22. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand against the rulers. And the rulers gather together against the Lord and His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And friends, when people prayed with confidence, it's because they knew He's in control. The third thing that Revelation points out is that the enemy has been defeated and that his final end is not very far off. In Revelation chapter 12, we've got a very vivid description of the devil. And the reason is a vivid description of the devil because there are lots of people who don't believe that the devil actually exists. There was war in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth and the angels with him. And the early church that was facing persecution needed to know two things about that. Number one, Satan is already a defeated foe. Friends, the enemy has been defeated. In 1 John 3 and verse 8 says the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the enemy. In Colossians 2, the Bible says having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them and he triumphed over them by the cross. But we are reminded that he will still try and deceive us 
He will still bring, try and put us on a guilt trip. He will still try and intimidate us, even though he is defeated. And that's why the Bible says to the church, be self-controlled and alert. Church, be self-controlled and alert. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Friends, if I might put it to you like this, they overcame him because at the cross, the blood of the Lamb was shed and he got defeated when Jesus died and rose again. But the truth be told is that his final end is still to come. In Revelation 20, we read, And the devil who deceived them, deceived the people of God, and the nations of the world, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And while he is a defeated foe, he is still active until that day God finally puts an end to him forever and ever. And just in case you've heard it said that one day the devil will be ruling in hell, may I say to you, he will not be ruling, he'll be cast into hell for all eternity. The fourth major theme that comes through in the book of Revelation is that the second coming of Jesus will not be a secret event. When you read the Bible, you'll discover that it points out that, that over time there would be a growing skepticism about the second coming of Jesus. And we know that the early church was saying, His coming is soon. We are still saying 2,000 years later, His coming is soon. And people have been waiting for a long time for this event to happen. And some people have become skeptical because of what we've said about the second coming. And so Peter reminds us, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following in their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming that he has promised? Ever since our father died, fathers died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Do not forget this. The Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, some understand. He is patient with you. Why? He doesn't want anyone to end up there. When we look around, we often see and we're often discouraged by some of the events we note. I want to say God could bring it all to a close in the next half an hour. 
And the reason he doesn't is because of those who are still coming to faith in Jesus. You know, as I read the news, and as I listen to reports coming from churches all over the world, there is a phenomenal move of God taking place in the most unlikely circles where many people are turning to Christ right now as we're sitting here in this building. There is still a day of grace for people to be saved. Jesus is coming again at the head of the armies of heaven. And every person will see him. And I want to say not one person will be disappointed in that day. But they trusted him and put their faith in him. Chapter 19 of Revelation, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse. Whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations the picture of the word of god and he will rule them with an iron scepter he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of god almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of You see, God wants that picture to be on our imagination until He comes. God wants you never to forget that white horse. And He never wants you to forget the rider on the right horse. And He never wants you to forget His splendor. And He never wants you to forget that He has crowns on His head. And He never wants you to forget that He's coming for you and me. And He never wants you to forget that day all injustice will come to an end. For Jesus is coming at the head of the armies of heaven for His people. And the last thing that Revelation uncovers for us is that God is going to make all things new. Friends, some of you sit here today and are saddened by things that have happened. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have seen some tragedies that have happened. I want to say God is going to make all things new. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's going to be destroyed and burned by fire. And there was no longer any sea. And by the way, it's not going to be a spiritual heaven and earth. It's going to be a real heaven and earth. And I saw the holy city as a picture of the church. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them 
and be their God. And listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Just try and imagine this morning. I know it's difficult. But try and imagine there will be no more pain ever again. There will be no more crying ever again. There will be no more depression ever again. There will be no more disappointments ever again. No more loneliness. No more worrying. No more fear. No more discouragement ever again. You see, that's what it's going to be like. That's what God has in store for us. That's our hope. That's what gives us courage. That's what strengthens our faith. That's why we persevere. Because God has revealed to us, I will make all things new. I finish with this last scripture. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. And he says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. And listen to this. The love and faith that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Friends, we live for today. We trust God for His mighty works today. But Lord, the Lord has said, one day I am coming and there will be all things new. In my sense this morning is there are times when we go through dark days. There are times when things do not work out the way we hoped and we anticipate it. There are times we feel discouraged. There are times when we wish things are not going to be as they are. But God is saying, I want my people to be encouraged. And I want my people to stand strong. And I want my people to persevere. And so I have revealed to them what will happen. So that today you'll be strong. So that today I will be encouraged. So that today I will persevere. So that today I won't give up. So that today I will push through. So that today I will hold on to Him because He is the faithful and true one and what He has said will come to pass. That is His promise. And so I want to pray over us as a church this morning. And uh, you may just be saying today, I want you to pray over my life today. I want to just receive fresh encouragement from the Lord. Fresh ministry from the Spirit this morning. My sense is that God is saying to us today, Church, my church, I love you. You are precious in my sight. Even though you go through, through difficult times, challenging times, I want you to know you are my people and I love you deeply. And I want to encourage you and strengthen you for this hour. 
And I invite you right now, if you would like to stand so that we can pray over your life today, God's encouragement, God's strengthening, fresh hope for tomorrow. If you'd like to stand, I want to pray. And then the team are going to just lead us in some further worship as we fix our eyes. We fix our minds and we fix our hearts on Him who is coming again. And friends, we're going to worship this morning like this church has never worshipped before. Because He's Lord of Lords and King of Kings.